turn to the book of Romans. We're going to continue our study on the book of Romans. And we, some of you were thinking we're going to have an ice Sunday and it didn't happen, huh? How about that? But it is good winter weather here for Texas, right? Now, some of you know this, but um, my oldest daughter, Ashley, uh, they have like a kind of extended Christmas break for college and she is investing her Christmas break helping Pine Cove uh, establish a Christian camp in the com- country of El Salvador. And so there's a picture of them and their team. Uh, got college kids from around the country that have come. They got their two leaders. And we've been following them, uh, listening, looking at the blog of what's taking place. Pretty cool stuff. And then they just kind of, this week, they actually went off the radar. Like there was nothing reported. And then Thursday morning, um, Karina gets a call at the house. And it's Ashley. And like, we're not even supposed to hear from her, right? And she goes, hey, I need, need to tell you kind of what's going on here. And apparently they've been hit with some very serious virus. And like it has wiped out almost their entire team. Uh, it started with Ashley, of all people, and it spread. Many of them have been hospitalized and they've got this serious virus. And uh, now they're all out of the hospital. And what they've done is put them in a hotel and quarantined them. I mean, this is apparently very contagious they don't want them around other people at our camp, kids, or anything like that. So anytime, of course, you have spiritual advancement, there's always major obstacles, and they're facing it. So this is a picture at Happier Times. I, I had a chance to talk with her just for a few minutes last night. And she goes, well, I can do good standing up for about 30 minutes, but then I feel best just kind of laying in bed, okay? So much for the mission trip, huh? So they're down there with these major flu-like symptoms, but uh, they're getting real good medical care, and they're expecting that they'll have a full recovery. But I... I'll tell you this because there's another virus that has hit um, like wildfire, I'd say, kind of among Christians. It's what sociologist Robert Bela calls radical individualism. It is the idea that being involved in a local church is both optional and conditional. It's up to me. I will decide it's, it's optional, don't necessarily need to do it or not, uh, or if I do, I'm going to pick and choose, and I'm going to be the one that's going to basically dictate the tempo on that. The major problem with that is that is a huge departure from the New Testament that makes such a strong emphasis on a local body of believers. And you can't spend much time in the Bible without seeing how important it is to Christ that his body is working together. And so when you come to like a book of like Romans, especially chapter 12 and following, you see how critical it is for the spiritual development of believers that they are involved in a local church. In chapters 12, verses 4 and 5, they're like a game changer. It'll take a church from being fickle, superficial, to being committed, maturing, and healthy. And what does genuine spiritual uh, health and maturity look like in a local church? You're going to find, as we look at these two verses, that when we really believe in Christ, we learn that we really belong to his body. Let's look at them. Verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now what happens is, uh, before you and I were Christians... Before we really believed in Christ, we tried to find our sense of purpose and identity and security and community outside of the body of Christ, right? 
And some of us just found that there's this gaping hole and there's really this nothing that can actually meet what we're kind of looking for. And what God does is he opens our eyes that we not only see our sinfulness trying to live life apart from God, but that we actually see the beauty of the Savior. And God literally draws people, men and women, boys and girls, to himself through Christ. And when he does so, he gives us his Christ's righteousness. We are given forgiveness, a security of knowing where we're going and spending eternity with him. We have a sense of identity, peace, purpose. All of this comes because of our relationship with Christ. And one other amazing feature takes place that we have a sense that we belong, that we identify with fellow believers. I saw this after I became a Christian when I was in college at the University of Oregon, which is a good school to be at this week, right? You know? And uh, there, is a, there is just a compelling need in my life to find other believers, okay? No longer doing the isolation, just hanging out with your own friends and doing stuff that you probably shouldn't be doing. But now I wanted to identify. I needed, I wanted to belong, I wanted to grow. And you see that. In fact, Jesus made this promise. Remember Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus made this promise. He says, I will build my what? Anybody know? Church, that's right. Jesus says, I intend until I return to build my church. And you need to know that spiritual health does not happen in isolation. It always happens in the context of community. So how does it happen? How do we really grow to be mature? Well, let me tell you some things that are really working against us. Right now, we are experiencing, especially in American Christianity, just a complete, like, absence or leaving the doctrines of the, of the, given us in the Word of God, specifically on the body of Christ. A big part of that is because we, as Christians, no longer are actually abiding in his word. We are more and more removing ourselves from scripture and more and more to the ideas of other people or just dynamic speakers. We've redefined church, and there's some things that are working in that favor for that. For instance, uh, we live in a, in a society now that has got the fragmentation of family. We've got people all over the place, Right? And we also have this huge pull, and especially in the youth culture, of involving yourself in all these activities that literally dominate family time, okay? It's more than just you're actually doing this and you have a healthy investment to a place where it just dominates your life. And then furthermore, we have technology where now you no longer have to interface with a single person because anything you want, you can actually pull up on your phone or you got on a computer, any experience that you'd like to check out, you can do so in the isolation of your own home or car. Now, one problem is that is that we, every person has this aching need to belong, and it is growing in intensity. And there's actually one company that's actually figured this out, and they're capitalizing it. It's Starbucks. What? Yeah. Starbucks has got this figured out. They understand that people have a very strong sense that they need to belong. And so what they offer is community. So in their training, I did some reading on this. The first place is that they understand that genuine community is found in a, in a home, so a person's home. The second place they find genuine community is work. The third, the church? No, no, no. The third place they say Starbucks, Right? That's what they're trying to do. They know that if you can create a sense of community, people do that, and when they do, they drink a lot of coffee. And they are in the coffee business, but they are smart. They understand we need community. Where genuine community is supposed to be experienced is in the church. 
But I'm not sure we actually have figured that out. Partly because I don't think we've really wrestled with the implications of the text that we're looking at today. See, when you come to the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 11 talks about who we are positionally in Christ. When you get to chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, he talks about that this is personal to us, that we're literally transformed, we're no longer conformed to the world, but we're living lives of worship unto God. Beginning in verse 4, all the way through the rest of the book of Romans, you find that there is to be a practical experience of what this unity and community is to look like. And to offset the dangers of individualism, you have verse 3. Remember, we spent a whole week looking at that. Because there's two things that are going to keep you and I from experiencing the community God intends in his church. One is pride. You are self-sufficient. You don't need others. You're rather arrogant. You know how to stiff arm your way through life. And you put distance between people. You don't need them. The other is you feel rather inferior. You've got these weaknesses about you. And you're like, oh, woe is me. And no one cares. And so what happens is you spin yourself into isolation. Both of those lead to the church not being the church. If you're going to experience genuine community, we've got to see the truths in verses 4 and 5. Let me point out three of them. Being in verse 4, he noticed that there was the unity of the body. We have many members, but we are in what? One body, okay? Christ is the head, and all of those who believe belong in his body. And what a local church is, is an expression of the body of Christ, but we are all focused and fixed on the head. There is a unity. There is also a great diversity. Notice what the text says. And all the members do not have the same function, okay? There is a diversity in function, and there is a diversity in the kind of people that are in a church by God's divine design. But let me show you something else. Look at verse 5. There is an interdependency. We need one another. We are individually members of one another. And what happens is, is that we've been placed in a body where Christ is the head and all of us are interrelated through the blood of Christ and that we're focused, fixed upon him. It is a spiritual unity. This is radical because prior to the coming of Christ, the people of God had a national identity. But what God has done is that God has sent a Savior for not just Jews, but for the world. Remember that one? We even looked at the genealogy of Jesus. It is Jews and Gentiles, non-Jewish people, one Savior. And he is uniting people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Men, women, boys, and girls who all come to a saving faith in Christ and are united to him who is the head. That is radical, and that's what God is doing. So we have this, this head, Christ, and we have this body, believers. And it's kind of like our physical body. It's really interesting. We don't think about how fascinating the human body is until we got some breakdown and something's not working quite right. And then we're like, oh, man, this is really important. I, I hadn't been thinking about that. I mean, our hands, our feet, eyes, I mean, They just move. We just have an impulse. We want to do this. We look there, and it happens. Is that not fascinating? And there's there's lots of parts of your body that you never think about that are functioning 24-7. Like, when's the last time you said to your heart, beat, right? Does that ever happen? Or breathe, like to your lungs? Nah, it just happens. And that's how it is with the body. All these interrelated parts, they're working together, and, and it's by God's divine design. 
So that tells you something in the body of Christ. You don't have, did you know, you don't have any worthless parts to your body. Did you know that? No worthless cells, no worthless parts to your body. And so it is in the body of Christ. There are no worthless believers. That's what he's trying to establish in the book of Romans, especially chapter 12. We have been united with Christ. Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think too low. Think clearly. You have a role to play. You have experiences to share. We need to come together. But there is something about us, and it is a part of our residual fallenness that we we are prone to isolation. We are prone to division. We're prone to walk away. It's kind of like I heard about this guy who had been marooned on an island for about 10 years. And when he was um, finally rescued, these rescuers come to his little island there, and they noticed this guy had built like these three different like hut structures. And they said, hey, so what? What's, what's, this, what's this hut here? And I said, oh, this is my house, my home. This is where I live. Good, okay. Well, what about this next one? Well, before I was marooned, I, I, uh, I went to church. So I, I built myself a church. Oh, okay, good, all right. And then, uh, well, what's this over here? He says, well, that's the church I go to now. I left that first one. I just didn't like it over there, you know? <laughs> like, okay, where does that come from? It comes from inside. We haven't grasped the body imagery, which is one of the Apostle Paul's favorite imagery that he gives us about what it means to be in Christ. We're so focused on the personal, and it is personal. But God wants us to know that our personal faith in Christ permanently unites us with fellow believers. You know what we're going to be doing in heaven, don't you? We're going to be in it together. Everybody, and it is going to be such broad diversity but yet we're going to find a commonality and a love for and a worship of Christ. And that's what God designs. You know, it's kind of like each one of us is like a little chip fragment of a mirror. The single piece is like, man, I'm not sure if I can get anything out of this, but you put it all together. And then when it is, when we come together, a local church becomes an expression of the imago Dei, the image of God to the community. And that's what he intends. But if that is to be a reality, friends, we have to come to terms and start living out verses 4 and 5. You know, every person has a role to fulfill, okay? Everybody has different abilities, talents, background, experiences. Next week, we're going to talk a lot about this. But you have a role to play. Then God wants you to accept it. You also need to know this, that there are times where we have dysfunction, that we are hurt, there's injury, there's things that just need to be cleaned out, right? Guess what? You got those kind of issues in your life at times, right? You need the body of Christ. That's how a body works. But if you think too highly of yourself, you're going to isolate because you don't need people until God brings you to a place where you see actually you do. Or if you think too lowly, you have a tendency of alienating and isolating and you get yourself in all sorts of trouble. Talk to a young man just this week. And he's experiencing the reality of walking away from the body and where his other friends took him. You need to know at a church, we're actually much more like a team. And we need to continue to learn how to function like such. It's interesting, there's a guy by the name of Scott Pioli. And uh, he was the vice president of player personnel for the New England Patriots. And you've noticed that they're a rather successful football team. doesn't matter if they've got lots of good players or not. And part of that is kind of a mindset that they've adopted for coaches and players alike. Scott Pioli had this sign in his office, and it really kind of summarizes best their approach. And it says this, we are building a team, 
not collecting talent. We are building a team, not collecting talent. That's what we're doing in the church. It's not just that we're like, okay, boy, these people are really gifted, but we live in isolation. No, we work together. We set aside our preferences and differences for the commonality of the glory of God and the exaltation of Christ and the well-functioning of his body. We will serve one another. We'll lay ourselves out for the care and the concern of other people. We will advance in discipleship. We will share the gospel. We want to see people come to the maturity. We want the body to be as the body is intended because why? It's really not about us, is it? It's about God and his glory and about Christ and what he's seeking to accomplish through his people. One of the things you want to watch out for, by the way, is comparison. You know, where you kind of, the green-eyed envy kind of deal, right? Ooh, you know, and what happened? And we, what is the deal, man? We're always sizing people up and like, ugh, she's a lot more gifted than I am. Or, oh, he's really sharp or something like that. And we're always sizing people up. And what happens is it's never good. And uh, it always is negative. And let me tell you where it's rooted in. It's why, like, you like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with these people because at least I shine here, right? It's all rooted in insecurities. God wants you to know you can be completely confident because you have Christ. You don't have to be living in, in uh, paralyzed by your insecurities. The purpose of the body of Christ is really succinctly stated in Ephesians 4, 15, and 16. I want you to look at these verses. Let me just read them to you. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, specifically, or even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's what God intends. Growing, putting together, functioning well. But the problem is, is that uh, we've been hurt and uh, everybody has felt rejected. No human has ever gone through life without feeling rejected. And, and I'm sure, let me just show you some different places that shows up. Yeah. Some of you have been rejected by your families. Still reeling with the implications of that. That's a big one. Some have been rejected by a team, fellow classmates in a club, people at work, and they just, you find yourself, man, the odd man or odd woman out, and, and that hurts, man, down to the core. Some people have actually been hurt by people who claim to be followers of Christ, treated them poorly, obviously never read texts like this, and what happens is you find that I, I'm not sure if I want to connect. I tried that once, or I really wanted it, and I'm, I'm still reeling from the hurt. Let me remind you that God is the one who has brought you into his body. And he has brought you with your unique experiences. And he wants the body, when functioning together as a whole, to be a marvelous marvelous expression of Christ to this world. I was doing some reading in this book called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. It's, It's written by an internationally renowned surgeon by the name of Dr. Paul Brand. And part of this, he actually discusses cells. And I found this fascinating. First of all, Did you know that, like, all the cells in your body, like, chemically, they're almost all alike? I I assumed that they were all going to be rather difficult, different. And, uh, but actually, they're all very much alike. However, visually and functionally, they're about as different, as he says, like, as animals in the zoo. 
So you have like these red blood cells, and they're carrying oxygen. They look like, like little red lifesavers, okay? And they're floating around. And, and then you've got muscle cells, which are like sleek and supple, and they're like coiled with energy. And then you have uh, cartilage cells that are shiny and black, and they just, they just look like black-eyed peas that are all tied together, okay? They look like they've got strength. Uh, fat cells, which is, if you've ever seen a fat cell, they, they look like, like white plastic garbage bags that are all folded, that are all kind of bunched together. I mean, how is that possible? But that's what fat cells look like. And then they're like bone cells. They got like rigid structure and they just kind of exude strength. And they have nerve cells, which is his specialty, that are fascinating because they like look like spiders, but they can go out almost out to a yard. And it's just like, it's fascinating. And they're super unique. They're like this amazing assortment. Individually, the cells look kind of puny by themselves, right? Like, eh. What's going to happen with that? But you put them all together. And when they function together in their diversity, you have the marvelous expression of life. That's awesome. And that's what God intends for his church to be. We are different, very different. Different strengths, skills. We come from various backgrounds. But together, when we are really focused on, the, on Christ and his head and learning to draw strength from his spirit, we can come together, we can experience this marvelous unity called life in Christ. And I'll tell you something, just at, at fellowship, let me just tell you a personal vision of, for my, of mine. I want to see our church to become like a microcosm of heaven where we really do have people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, people from every sort of background, whether you're poor or you're rich, whether you've had life easy or it's been really difficult, whether you've got a lot of money or you don't have money, it doesn't matter because we have Christ and we learn to love one another, grow together. We're seeing people not only come to Christ, but we see people are maturing and growing Christ to the glory of God. That's where we're going as a church. And we want to be like these cells when you all function together. And isn't it cool? I mean, haven't you had that experience whether you're traveling in India or you go to Africa or even California of all places and you meet another Christian, another follower of Christ and like instantly like there's this kinship. Like, I mean, it is so cool. The, the bonds through the blood of Christ are like even thicker than family ties. I feel like I've met people, brand new people, but they're Christians that I seem to have more in commonality than some of my own family. Extended family. I'm like, how is that possible? Because that's the beauty of Christ. And he's got his people everywhere. But of course, you know, in a body, uh, there's all sorts of cells. You know, there's also like, in the church body, there's like complacent cells. You know, they're not, they're relatively benign in a sense they don't destroy the church, but they're just kind of along for the ride. They kind of have the mentality that I will get all that I can from God and all that I can from the church. But that's missing what God is saying in this text here. And then, of course, you can have rebellious cells. These are like the cancer cells that are like mutinous to the point of destruction. And, and it shows up in a variety of ways, like heresy, believing things that are not true about Christ, God, the gospel, salvation, true spirituality. And it creates havoc. And, it, and frankly, it takes place pretty easily as soon as you get people away from this book. Sure, you throw in a Bible verse or two, but if they're not, the word is not the mainstay of their life, they cannot develop biblical health, and you develop some heresies, and it will destroy your church. You may have a lot of people coming, but it's not about the worship of Christ and the glory of God and the maturing of the saints. Heresy is a destructive force. Let me give you another one. When you just have widespread immorality, and it's like, that's good, man. Whatever the morals are in the culture, we're just going to turn a blind eye to those things. It doesn't matter. Actually, it does because the Holy Spirit 
desires holiness in his people. So really, it's kind of like this. The church is the body of Christ. And I tried to think about how can I present this just in a, a connection continuum to make it really easy to understand. It all begins with believing, where you come to an initial faith. You are connected with Christ. But then it moves, as soon as you see yourself believing, to a place of belonging. You actually understand that you are integrating with a local body of believers. There is a need, there is a drive, that you need people. You go, you're believing, and as you believe, it is Christ who drives the sense that you need to belong, to be involved with other believers, to start establishing community, to get connected. But then from belonging comes to a place where you are being involved. You're not just, I just attend, but that actually I'm involved. I'm involved in a group. I'm using my gifts. I'm investing in others. I actually care. I, I'm, going, I'm willing to help. I'm going to serve. I, I give. I share. I am a part of a collective expression. I'm not, it's just not about me anymore. It's about Christ and what Christ is doing to his people. And when you see that happening, you've got health. And that means that we work together. We serve together. We appreciate people. We esteem them. We love them. We work through our difficulties. Every significant relationship is going to have difficulties. Did you know that? It's true in marriage, true in your family. It's true in the church. And you work through those difficulties. Why? Because it's not about you being right or wrong. It's about the glory of Christ. That's what community looks like. You know, alone, we sink. We cling to Christ. We cling to each other. We grow. I read of a guy who went to, an, uh, I'm not sure why he was there, but he was visiting this uh, sane asylum for these criminally insane people. And one of the things that he noted was that there was hardly any guards. In fact, for these hundred criminally insane people, they only had three guards. He's like, wow, that is weird. So he asked one of those guards, like, aren't you worried that like, all these criminally insane people are just going to kind of unite and just overrun you? And the guy goes, nah, not because lunatics never unite. Lunatics never unite. That's also true when it comes to the church. If you're not thinking clearly, you will not unite. You see, locusts, guess what they do? Locusts unite. Fire ants, they unite. Christians should. And if we do not, we don't understand where our power comes from. You see, if, you don't, if you're like, no, 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 it's, all, it's optional, conditional for me, you do not have a developed ecclesiology. Your understanding of the doctrine of the church, of what we are and who we are in Christ, is deficient, and it is showing up, and it is creating wreckage in you, plus you're ripping off everybody else. Because we need each other. We're meant to be together. We, God has placed us in his, in, his, in his body. And let me tell you something else. The world watches this. The world wants to see, okay, yeah, you're telling me what Jesus changed his lives. Well, does he change yours? What does your church look like? If you're so busy, if you're busy like infighting, right, and tearing each other apart or something like that, they're like, come on, I don't want that. If you, if you can't seem to learn how to function and work together and grow together, guess what happens? They go, whatever you're telling me about Jesus, I don't want that because I don't end up looking like you. God says, I want to build community and unity. It's, frankly, it's one of the great 
things that we've got going here at Fellowship. We've got a wonderful sense of growing in unity. And people are taking steps of growth and maturity. And that is exactly what this text is talking about. Sadly, though, we are living in a kind of a consumer mindset when it comes to the contemporary church. It's kind of like this mantra. Ask not what you can do for your church, but what your church can do for you. That is the thinking for a lot of people. It's kind of like, you know, people just kind of shop churches, you know? I mean, even like with like little kids, you know, like, well, you know, this year we're going to do something different because we're kind of thinking we would like a Jonah and the whale theme for our kids, I think, this year, okay? And we're moving to that kind of mindset. When God wants us to experience covenant, loyalty, unity, building ourselves up, growing together in Christ. And one of the beauties of the New Testament is it, ex- it, it gives these expressions of widespread diversity. I mean, when you look at it, you've got people from every social class and race and background coming together, and it all gets started with the early church. I mean, think about it like this. The Apostle Paul, as, a, as a, an aspiring rabbi, a guy who had been trained by Gamaliel, I mean, this guy was a Pharisee of Pharisees, Do you know that he prayed every day and he thanked God that he wasn't born a woman, a slave, a Gentile? Every day he thanked God for those things. But you see, when he came to understand who Jesus is and he experienced transformation, under the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's the same guy who wrote this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is a unity a diversity. There is a sense that we need each other. We are involved in each other's lives. One modern Indian pastor reported this, quote, most of what happens in Christian churches can be duplicated in Hindu and Muslim congregations, okay? Speaking from the context of India. And he says this, but in my area, only Christians strive, however ineptly, to mix men and women of different castes, races, and social groups. That's the real miracle. See, diversity, it complicates things because we like to be around people that are kind of much like us. God wants to be our church, all churches, an expression of his diversity where we learn that we can work together, grow together, and we do so because we're united with Christ. Right now, loyalty to a local church is out the window. It's kind of like, who can just scratch my itch the best now? And that changes. Unity becomes precious when you work to preserve it and you go through it. And that's what God intends for a church to do, to be a vital expression of his glory. And that, I'll tell you what, that means that you have to set aside your emotions and circumstances. Oftentimes, that gets in the way to spiritual maturity. And if you don't understand the importance of the local church, then what happens is, you're not going to develop like God intended, and neither is our church. It's pretty interesting. Um, one of the most popular aquarium fish are little sharks. Did you know that? This is, I, I read this like, you've got to be kidding. Did you know that if you take a baby shark and you put it like in your little aquarium, that that shark will like grow to be like only six inches long? What? It's because that's the context in which it lives. Only six inches. Of course, you take that same shark and you put it like out in the ocean. Guess what? It grows up to be like eight feet thing, you know, the jaw stuff, right? But if you want a cute little shark, 
Just go get a little baby shark and put them in your little fish tank, and they will only get about six inches big. It'll look like that. Isn't that, interesting? Isn't that cool? Not really for the shark. Can you imagine? Ah, stuck me. You stuck me in this little fish tank. I'll tell you something. The same is true for Christians. If you live in isolation, you've got 101 reasons why you will never connect and you won't be involved in a local church. It's optional and conditional. You are like the equivalent of putting yourself in a little fish tank and don't be surprised if you only grow to be about six inches big. Why? Because you're missing the context and the dynamic of being involved in a local body where you grow, you're stretched, you learn forgiveness, you walk in strength. And that is the goal. The goal for the church is for spiritual maturity to become a reality. And friends, that at times is challenging. I know it's challenging in our own home. Like, we're really trying to grow as a family of grace. But I've discovered in our family of six that we have, we're all like sinners. And I'm the worst one, right? And so, but we want to experience to grow in grace. And we want to experience maturity, right? So, it's really interesting. My wife, a couple of weeks ago... Uh, she, she found this, uh, this print, and I noticed that she hung it up, like, in our kitchen, okay? And it's not at the same level where the other, like, pictures are. It's, like, hung, like, right so we can see it when we're all sitting down. And this is what it says. There, there's a picture right there. It says, in this house, we laugh a lot. We are patient most of the time. We tell the truth. We support each other. We hug often. We make mistakes. We always forgive, we always have fun, but above all, we love. That has been really good. You see, we're in a covenant relationship. We are united by family, family name. We're united as a family. We need to grow. We are united as believers, and God wants a local body to grow and mature. And you need to know something. Our maturity is going to be limited to the degree that we limit ourselves from experiencing what God intended. A church can never grow past its individuals. Did you know that? So you set the tone and the pace. And where are we going? Are we going with Christ and his word? Are we going to experience the fullness of maturity? This is our text. And I'll just tell you as a pastor of fellowship, I can like say with the Apostle John, I have no greater joy than this, than seeing my children walking in the truth. And friends, it is awesome. It's worth celebrating what God is doing in our midst. This is happening. People are taking steps of growth. We have brand new believers that are just experiencing what it means to be a Christian. This is God's dream for his people, that we experience this in our life. And so all of our ministries, man, Kids Club and the Adventure Club and the Joy Club and with our college students and with our fellowship families and student ministries, these ladies' Bible studies and man-to-man that's just getting started up, all of this is meant to foster a development, a connection where we grow and mature and we spur one another on, and it's done to the glory of God. Now, just go back to that connection continuum. Believing, are you believing? If you're believing, God wants you to understand that you belong. You're involved. You share, care, serve. You give. But with your belonging, you're being involved where you literally are now investing in the lives of other people. You see, we are not just a people coming to church. We are the church. We are committed to Christ and we're committed to one another. And after all, that's what it is. Growing in Christ, it means that we're growing together. See, when we really believe in Christ, 
we begin to understand that we really belong to his body. To believe is to belong. And that's the vision of fellowship. We are growing deep in Christ, and as we do, we are growing up, and we are branching out, and we're doing it together to the glory of God. Billy Waters recounts a rather moving scene that took place in his church years ago. Uh, they had a, it was a tragic deal. They had a, one of their young girls, I think she was like 12 or so, she was involved in a serious accident, ends up losing her arm. Very traumatic for this girl. She's moving into her teenage years. Uh, takes, takes a whole year off from school, church. She just put herself in isolation. Finally, they got to a place where she was ready to kind of go back and face her peers. And um, so they were going to start with the church. So they, mom called, spoke to the youth pastor, and said, you know, hey, Jamie's going to come back. Please do not draw any attention to her. This is where we're going to get started. And uh, yeah, the youth pastor, got it. Yeah, <laughs> glad to have her back. This is going to be great. Well, then, that Sunday, the youth pastor's sick, calling a last-minute sub, and they forgot to tell the sub about the dynamics of the situation. This guy's teaching a lesson on the importance of engaging people and, and let's invite some friends to church, you know. And, and so we... Uh, he says, you know, it's kind of like that. Let's do this all together. You know, here's the church and here's the steeple, you know, open the door and here are all the people, you know, and he's having this. Remember that? Remember we do that as kids? Let's all do that. And all these kids are doing it except uh, Jamie's starting to get tears coming down her eyes. And there was a 13-year-old boy who saw this and he gets down on his knees next to Jamie and he takes his hand and he puts it with hers. And they got, here's the church and Here's the steeple, and you open those doors, and you see all the people. And friends, that is an expression of what God intends for a local body to be. You see, when we really believe in Christ, we learn that we really belong to his body, and that is what we are designed for. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the power of your word. It's so clear. It's right there. And your spirit is moving in our midst that this will be the ongoing reality in our church. We are experiencing this, and God, we, ex- we ask that we would experience it to even greater levels. And for the person who has come here today who has never trusted in Jesus, maybe they've been coming for a long time, or maybe this is their first Sunday, and they see their need for the Savior. Isolation is no longer for them. They want forgiveness, life. Would they simply pray with me and say, God, I turn from self and my sin. I trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Lead my life. And Lord, for all of us, may what you have expressed in your word be the ongoing reality in our church for your glory. We ask as we pray in Jesus' name, amen.